Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, and welcome to South Valley Online. We want to welcome you as you are tuning in to worship God together from wherever you are. We're going to take a moment just to take God in this morning and really have an intimate time of worship. So we want to invite you in and just sing praises to God. Allow him just to work in your life, in your homes. So join us now as we come into his presence. Miracle worker, we make a 
Same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me here now and in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. Working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley.
to me I am weak without you and I can't breathe without you but I can make it through if you hold on to me when my life is broken still your arms are open your love can make me
Jesus, we just call out to you, Lord. We thank you that you are sovereign, Lord, and you are in control of all things. God, we know you can carry us through this storm. Lord, whatever we're going through, not just as a, a world and a country, Lord, but each individual family, Lord, each individual and the struggles that they're going through, Lord, help them to know that you are greater, Lord. Take us in your arms and comfort us. Be the God that we know you to be, Lord, and help us to trust you. God, we give this morning to you and all our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another wonderful day, SVCC Online, on this lovely Sunday. It's another wonderful day and another wonderful way for us to be able to express our love and adoration to Jesus Christ, and we're so glad that you're able to join us today. Just a few announcements for those of you who have been participated in Rooted. We uh, have been sending some communications out to you regarding some photos and videos needed of your group, and today is the deadline. And so I just want to remind you, any cardboard testimonies or any pictures that your group's taken together, or even if they've been just screenshots of your group meeting virtually, I would love to have those. If you could send those to my email, marcus at svcclamore.org, that would be awesome. And I got to tell y'all, I am so excited to be able to share what God has been doing through Rooted and in your lives. It's been so cool just to be able to get all these pictures and things like that. God has been on the move, and so we're just working on a project and just would love to have y'all's footage. So if you please get that to the email, that would be awesome. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had shared with you that we are partnering with United714.com. And United714 is a worldwide prayer effort where people and believers throughout the entire world are getting together to pray at 7 a.m. and uh, 7, 8, 14 a.m. and 7.14 p.m. to pray over some very specific details. And so if you go to united714.com, you can join the movement there to scroll right on down, and there are some prayer focuses for the week available for you so that you can participate in that. So we just want to invite you to join in that. And then finally, y'all, if SVCC is your church home, we just want to encourage you and remind you that online giving is still available. You can go to svcclamore.org, click on the donate button that's right there at the top right-hand corner of the website, and that kind of walks you through how you can give online. You could also text your offering. You could actually bring your offering to the office door. We have a slot that's now dedicated that for that through the office door. And it's just a way for, the, for those of us who call SVCC our home to be able to express in obedience and worship to the Lord. If SVCC is not your church home, please don't feel compelled to give. It's just a way for us to honor God through our tithes and our offerings. So a few other weeks ago, we actually began a new segment for our SVCC online segments. And it gave us the opportunity to hear from church families and just how they're doing in the midst of what's been happening over the last six, seven weeks. And so today, we're going to have the chance to hear from Tim and Michelle Messer and their family about what they're learning and how they're seeing God move in and through them and their family. So why don't we go ahead and give a listen to the Messer family as they share today. Oh, hey there, South Valley. This is Tim. And I'm Michelle. And we're the Messers. And we're here today to talk about faith through quarantine. It's been a challenging time for us all. Uh, we all have different journeys and different ways that we're handling this. Uh, the way that I'm handling it is due to lack of live sports. It's been a kind of a blessing in disguise and forced me to get more into my word um, than I was before. Uh, prayer, meditation, we pray together, we pray apart, and Michelle's been a rock for me and helped me be strong through all of this. Uh, was that a bug? Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. Uh, and uh, I got sidetracked. Well, I, Go ahead. I apologize. I hit the bug off his shoulder, my bad. But the way that I've been getting through this too is I definitely have been getting more into my word. And I also have been reading a book called Crushing by T.D. Jakes. He quotes a scripture, John 15, 2, New King James Version. It states, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So during this time, I have had times where I feel like I am being depleted of energy, patience, compassion, love, joy, because I can't do what I was used to doing. So I have to remember that this time God is testing our faith because I know that my compassion for others and my patience with others is getting stronger, especially in my household. Now that I'm working from home, me and Tim see a lot of each other now. And I, to and I told him, I said, are you ready for this? Because one day I will retire. And I get, apparently he doesn't mind. So <laughs> that's what I go with. But this time has been really crazy right now, right? Right, the kids out of school, homeschooling, internet, online classes, it's, uh, it's challenging. We're kind of homeschooling our kids a little bit. We are blessed. Our, our kids are pretty dang smart. We don't have to do too much and they're able to stay on task. But I know this has got to be hard for some of them kids out there that struggle with school. So I'm praying, I know we are both praying, that these kids can go back to school we are not homeschool teachers, and we are thankful for you teachers out there. You should be praised, yeah. and you should be paid so much more than you get paid. That's a whole nother topic. But because of God and because of our faith, we are doing better than we had hoped. Yeah. Amen. So thank you, South Valley. We love you. We miss you, and we can't wait to see you. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Well, hey, good morning again, folks. Uh, it is incredible to think that we are entering week number nine on shutdown and the impact of COVID-19. And nine weeks since we had to close down our campus and go all online for every ministry and every service. Uh, let me give you a brief update on where we're at with regathering. Not reopening because the church has never been closed, just the building. But what does regathering look like? And so, uh, we have a regathering task team in place, and that team are working out a plan that has multiple phases on what regathering would look like. And uh, it might obviously start small, maybe home gatherings, careful steps to ensure that we still protect people, especially the vulnerable. Uh, God's God's guidance on loving our neighbor and caring for the vulnerable uh, doesn't disappear. And then after maybe some home gatherings, we maybe move to then some smaller gatherings on our campus. And then when we have both the California public health green light and when we're able to cope and open safely, social distancing, disinfectant, sanitation, signage, campus safety, then we can begin to think more about gatherings on our campus possibly medium size before returning back to a larger size of which SVCC normally is. So, we don't yet have a timeline, and we're still working on the plan. But as we wait to hear from public health officials and city and county officials, uh, but our regathering task team is working on preparedness and being able to take the right steps at the right time in the right way. So, we'll keep you informed, and we'll be working on being prepared to regather in a wise and careful way as we try to exit into something new post-COVID. And I tell you, you don't want to gather too quickly here, because if you sit at the front and I spit, which I do a lot, poof, that would not be wise, okay? But uh, until, until we, we are able to regather uh, in whatever form and shape that could look like, keep being the church. You know, as, as we said, the church has never been closed just a building. So, keep being the hands and the feet of Jesus. Join on our online services. What a time to invite your friends or neighbors or colleagues to think about tuning in online, completely safe for them in their own home to listen in to the teachings from God's Word and hear the worship. And then, uh, appropriately, reach out and care and share the love and hope of Christ with those who are near you, uh, and always stay safe and say well. So, uh, we have a team working and preparing, and we will keep you uh, well, well informed as the weeks roll forward as to the slow steps that we'll take as we think about regathering together as a congregation. So, uh, that's where we're at, and uh, stay patient, stay prayerful, 
but still stay being the church as you reach out in your family and amongst your friends. And uh, we believe that God is moving and God is working despite the fact that our building is closed. He's not and the church isn't. So, so there we go. Uh, this is preach number four on the series Leviticus, uh, Becoming Whole Again. And uh, God's invitation for every Christ follower is that we can become holy. And, and that holy life is the door through which we can know every single day and every single moment and every single experience, we can know the presence of the eternal God within our souls and our hearts. And, and the gospel and the call to live it out is an incredible, amazing reality that every follower of Christ can know. Uh, a guy came into an antique store in San Francisco, uh, mostly filled with junk, and he was kind of an expert with antiques. And he notices on the floor that there is a cat drinking milk out of a saucer. But he recognizes the saucer. It was actually a vase, or do you guys say a vase? I get my English and my American mixed up, okay. But the vase or the vase was from the Ming Dynasty in China. And it was worth a fortune, full of milk, with a cat drinking out of it. So he thought, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to get a hold of this really valuable vase. Because uh, obviously the owner doesn't realize what he's got here. So he goes to the owner and he says, that's quite a remarkable cat you have. I'll give you $100 for the cat. And the owner says, well, the cat's not really worth anything. <laughs> and, and I would agree with that, okay? Uh, but we're kind of attached to it. Uh, well, I'll give you $150. Well, all right, says the owner. And then the man says, hey, 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 I need something to feed him out of. So I'll give you another 20 bucks if you can let me have that saucer that he's drinking out of. And the owner says, oh, oh no, I, I can never do that. That's actually a vase from the Ming Dynasty in China, and it's worth a fortune. But the strangest thing, ever since I've started putting milk in it, I've sold 17 cats. <laughs> See, there's just no audience here to laugh, and I think that's quite funny, okay? Uh, but, but, but here's what's ironic. There are some Christians, and they are more interested in buying the cat than in having the greater prized possession. All they can see is the cat, and they haven't seen the thing of value behind the cat. Doing daily life with Christ. N not just getting heaven but actually knowing the indwelling and the realness and the closeness of doing life with God day in, day out. You and I have been invited to do life near God. That's priceless. And who wouldn't want that? Especially when this God is a God who's flowing with salvation, with healing, with hope, with grace, with love, with mercy. His invitation to this kind of closeness and this life comes this side of grace and salvation. He, he saved you now so that you could know that new life. He didn't save you so you'd live in fear and punishment and always thinking that you're doing the wrong thing but He saved you to know that life and that hope. But sometimes we misunderstand how this kind of life works. So, let me share a parable with you, okay? Uh, Arnold Lobel wrote a book called Frog and Toad Together, and it's a perfect description of something that we want to try to unpack a little bit this morning as we talk about how to be holy. And it's going to take me three minutes or so to read you the parable, but, but hey, listen in and pay attention as I read it to you. So here it goes. Toad baked some cookies. Mmm, these cookies smell very good, said Toad. He ate one. 
Mm, they taste even better, said Toad. And Toad ran to Frog's house. Frog, Frog, cried Toad. Taste these cookies that I've made. Frog ate one of the cookies. Mm, these are the best cookies I've ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, said you, you, you know, Toad, Frog said, with his mouth half full, I think we should stop eating. We'll soon be sick. <laughs> this is a parable of my condition, okay? You're right, said Toad. Let us eat one last cookie and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There were many cookies still left in the bowl. Frog, said Toad, let us eat one very last cookie, and then we will stop. Uh, this is a parable of most people's conditions. Okay? A frog and toad ate one very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried toad as he ate another. Yes, said frog, reaching for a cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower, asked toad? Willpower is trying very hard not to do something you really want to do. You mean like trying hard not to eat all the cookies, asked Toad? Right, said Frog. Frog, put the cookies in a box. There, he said, now we'll not eat any more cookies. Frog, put the cookies in a box. But we can open the box, said Toad. That's true, said Frog. Frog tied some string around the box. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That's true, said Frog. But Frog got a ladder and he put the box on a high shelf. There, he said, now we'll not eat any more cookies. But we can climb the ladder, take the box down, cut the string and open the box, said Toad. Oh, that's true, said Frog. Frog, Frog climbed the ladder, took the box down, cut the string, opened the box, and he took the box outside and he shouted in a loud voice, Hey, birds, here are cookies. And birds came from everywhere. They picked up all the cookies in their beaks and flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Todd, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. You may keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home now to bake a cake. Huh. Holiness is sometimes confused with working really hard to try to stop sinning. That's not holiness. That's willpower. Here's what you need to grasp. Listen in. Holiness is becoming the kind of person who actually wants to do what is right and good and noble and beautiful and true. And you need to know your heart aches for that more than it aches for anything. The Scottish theologian uh, George MacDonald, uh, mentor to C.S. Lewis, he once wrote these words, at the end of the day, it's good to ask a question, what did I seek to do today just because Jesus said to do it? If I want to be one of Jesus's Talmudim, one of his disciples, then sometimes I have to do the things he says. I want to explore with you this morning some of the things that Jesus says his followers have to do. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 8 and listen in as I read the first four verses. The Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, 
and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, pause there. You are one of the Israelites. You're camped in the wilderness. You're journeying through life with God. And Moses, the leader, communicates to you that God has requested the entire assembly, all of you, gather outside the tent of meeting where His presence is, where God's glory dwelt. Now, you know what's inside the tent of meeting. So, would I be right in assuming that when you hear that God Himself has requested your presence at the front of the tent of meeting, and as you stand there with all the other people, you can't help but wonder, what's going to happen next? Your levels of anticipation and expectation would be big. Like, can you imagine how your heart would be pounding if you stood outside the doors of SVCC and realized that in the next few minutes as you worship here, God is going to actually tell you something? Oh, you know, oh, that, that you would click on on a Sunday morning onto Facebook or YouTube or onto our website, and you would have this expectation that as you worship with God's people and as you hear God's Word taught, that God is actually going to say something to you. Or every morning as you open up the Holy Scriptures or as you bow your heart in prayer each evening or, or, or as you join on a Tuesday or a Thursday in some of the worship times that we have, your heart would be pounding for what God is going to say to me. And then Moses comes and Moses stands in front of you and you get on your tippy toes and you make sure that you can see what's about to happen because you don't want to miss any of it. And as you look, alongside Moses is standing another man. And alongside that man are a couple of younger men. And as you squint your eyes to see them, someone whispers to you that this is Moses' brother Aaron and Aaron's sons. And you watch. And you watch as Moses gets some water, and he begins to wash Aaron and his sons. And a murmur begins to rumble through the crowd. It's time. It's time. It's happening. Today's the day. All, all that God has been telling Moses about the sacrifices, about how we are to stay near to God by bringing sacrifices and offerings it's all about to start working. And Aaron and his sons are to act as the priests, those who would stand between us and God, those who would serve in a ministry that makes the people holy before God so that God could dwell with them and they with Him. This is the time. It's happening. And, and not only does, does God dwell among us in the tent of meeting, but we can now come near God because of the role of the priests. The priests are going to make that reality happen. And so it was. Leviticus chapter 8, Leviticus chapter 9, and all the way through the Old Testament and into the time of Jesus, a group of people called priests, with one called the chief priest or the high priest, they began their holy and vital ministry where they stand in between God and the people and they enable the people to come near God. Only the priests can handle the holy part of the offerings as we've seen the priests take the blood and sprinkle it upon the atonement altar, the cleansing, and only the priests can do that. And now it's time to blow our minds. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. There towards the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 
And the Scriptures say these words, you also, like living stones rejected by men but chosen by God, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And carry on to verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And now go to Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, the last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says these words, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Okay, no longer are only a select group of people priests. The Bible clearly and essentially teaches that something new has happened. Every Christ follower is a priest. This is the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Research it further. It is amazing. If you are a Christ follower, you are a priest. And you lying in bed watching me this morning, you're a priest. And you over in the corner of the sofa on your phone texting, <laughs> you're a priest. The New Testament teaches that every believer is a priest. We have access straight to the throne room of God. We don't need to come through a middle person. We come straight before God because of Christ. And the New Testament teaches that Jesus Christ is the chief priest or the high priest, the only priest who goes right into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. That's Hebrews chapter 8. We don't come to God through another person, a priest, someone who stands in the gap and speaks to God on our behalf. We can come directly to God because we are priests. So, let me say it another way. Only you can determine how close you come to God, and you can come as close as you want to. Uh, you see, the doctrine of the priesthood of believers has a sting in the tail. It's not just a doctrine that questions something of the role of the priest as maybe performed within the Catholic tradition, but it's something that jabs you and me that if we're not as close to God as we want to be, we can't blame somebody else. The finger points at us. This is the reality or this is the consequences of us all being priests. You can't blame someone else for your distance from God or you know, you can't blame someone else if you come the wrong way and you don't obey what the Scriptures would teach. We only have ourselves to blame if we don't come close enough. So, if we are all priests and we really want to come close, let's check out the kind of things that we need to pay attention to to really come close. And now, so now we're back in Leviticus chapter 8. And so Moses would begin... And it says in verse 6 that he would wash Aaron and his sons, and he washed them with water. And the washing symbolizes cleansing, the outward demonstration of the want for inner cleanness. And yes, it is the blood of the sin offering, the purification offering that we talked about last week, that would cleanse us. But this was a symbol. It's dramatically and very visibly showing the entire community that they were, who they were going to represent, that if they were going to do the work of the priests, then they had to be cleansed. And sin, like dirt, needed to be washed off of them. I think a message here is perfection is not the requirement 
to come close as a priest. But seriousness in dealing with our sins is a requirement. Now, we could relate this to believer's baptism. It is more than a symbolic confession of your faith in Christ. It is that. But sacramentally, God is meeting you in the waters of baptism and revealing Himself to you in a greater way because of your obedience, and there is a sense of a cleansing, a purifying that takes, part, that, that, that takes place. M maybe when we're able to regather, maybe I can preach that a little bit further and we can hopefully see some people baptized as we get into the summer months. But, but, we can also relate it to the need for you and I to take seriously our sins if we want to daily come into the presence of God. We need to confess. We need to be cleansed. We need to be purified. This is 1 John chapter 1 that we taught last week, that we should confess our sins. This is the purification offering being outworked. The first part in coming close as a priest into God's presence is the removal of what is defiling you. You cannot come into His presence knowingly sinning and doing nothing about it. Now, you are going to sin, but that's when we come and we ask for forgiveness and we confess it and we seek that purification. It's as MacDonald says, sometimes I have to do the things he says. And one of the things he says is get rid of your sin, purify, cleanse yourself. And, th and that's what happens first. Moses would wash Aaron and the sons. And then he, he does something else. He begins to dress Aaron, who's going to act as the high priest. And if we had time, there are seven garments in total, seven being the Jewish number, meaning complete or perfect. And uh, Exodus chapter 28, which is before Leviticus, it talks about how these garments were for glory and for beauty. It brought the priest dignity and honor by virtues of them being reminders of the glory and the honor of God. And so, Leviticus chapter 8 verse 7 the first garment to be put on is a tunic. And now, every piece has meaning. It must have. God is not into trivial details. So, Exodus chapter 28 and Exodus chapter 29 speak also into these garments. And Exodus chapter 28 tells us that the tunic was to be a covering for the entire body. It symbolizes that as they stood before God and ministered, they were right with God. The word is righteousness. Not their own, but righteousness imparted to them. So, the New Testament speaks of us having Christ's righteousness, not because of our good lives or our good works, but because of God's grace. You are a priest because of God's righteousness, not your own righteousness. Always remember that you are clad in His righteousness. And I think that removes pride and that removes boastfulness and that removes arrogance. As that linen tunic was on the priest, he knew he was covered in someone else's righteousness, not his own and so are you, and so am I. Really, Christians should be the most humble and meek people alive because we know our sin, and we know the honor and the privilege and the cost of us being clothed in Christ's righteousness. This is good news. This means that you and I as priests, we can still make mistakes, we can still fail, and, and at times it, it, it's not our ministry, it's not our work, it's not our perfection that makes us acceptable to God, it's Christ's perfection that makes us acceptable to God, and we're invited to put on Christ and His righteousness. So, the tunic covering all of our body, symbolizing a righteousness that we have been given because of Christ. And it's his righteousness that we now wear. Now, the robe that was given him, Exodus chapter 28 tells us, was the color blue. Why blue? <laughs> Dodgers, don't, Dodgers fans don't go all excited here. It has nothing to do with the Dodgers, okay? 
nothing at all. Just like, don't even let that thought enter your head. If it had to do with any baseball team, it would be the Cubs, okay? Why blue? Well, we don't really know. But an educated guess would be that blue is the color of the heavens. And remember that you and I are engaged in work that is not natural but supernatural. It's not, not of this world, but of the world to come. It's not only of earth, but it's also of heaven. It's eternal. And so, people who want to be holy, close to God, are aware that we're involved in things that are more than this world, things eternal, things beyond this realm, things of the kingdom of God, which is also the kingdom of heaven, things which will never end. It's blue. You and I are involved in something bigger than what we see. It, it tells us in Exodus chapter 28 also that the bottom of the robe, its hem, has got little bells fastened to it. Why? Well, if you're in the Holy of Holies and the high priest Aaron was to die, you want to get him out there as fast as you can because nothing dead can be in the presence of God. Rumor has it that they tied a rope around his ankles when he went into the Holy of Holies just to yank him out quickly if he did die. You could hear him in the Holy of Holies. You could hear the bells, but you'd never see him. But the bells tell us that he was doing well, that his intercession was working. If dead, it could mean the offering had not been accepted or we're in big, we're in big trouble. Or if he was dead and he couldn't make the offering, even more trouble. Uh, so, there was bells put around his helm so that we could hear but not see what was happening, but we wanted to make sure it was working. Now, Leviticus chapter 8, verse 7, the next item on was the ephod, the ephod. And you read about the ephod all the way through the Old Testament. The ephod is a multicolored apron that goes on top of the tunic. And the ephod was the mark of the high priest's authority. Only he wore the ephod. The ordinary priests, his sons, they didn't get to wear it. Uh, only Christ, our high priest, wears the ephod. It's tied on with a sash, clearly stated. It, that's important. This is the most secure piece of the high priest's clothing, his authority. His authority can never come off him. Christ never loses His authority. And on top of the ephod was the breastplate. Now, I've got to talk about this a little bit, okay? The breastplate had 12 stones in it. So, picture a tunic, and then there's an apron over the tunic, which is the ephod, and then over the ephod was a breastplate that sat across His breast, and it, there was 12 stones on it, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And in each stone was written the name of one of the tribes. In other words, he bore the names of the people of God as he went into the Holy of Holies. Oh, wait a minute. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, enters into the most holy with our names written on his heart. Revelation chapter 4 verse 3 Revelation chapter 4, verse 3 talks about the one who sat there on the throne who had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And Revelation chapter 4, verse 3, the, the reference to Jasper and Carnelian is a reference back to the high priest's breastplate. The first stone was Carnelian. The last stone was Jasper. So, get a glimpse of this picture, the seen revealing the unseen. Aaron, the high priest, is, now, is not now in the Holy of Holies, but God Himself is there. And the people of God, His children, are carried over His heart. I think that's one of the most beautiful pictures in the New Testament, that my heart, my, my name is carried over God's heart as He sits in the Holy of Holies, the eternal throne. My name, your name, our names as the people of God. 
the revelation reveals, the seen revealing the unseen, that people who have entered by faith into a living relationship with God through Christ are precious to the heart of God, and forever He carries you on His heart. John, in his writing, says, your names are written on His heart. <laughs> and those stones were precious. They were costly. The revelation is saying, if your name's on God's heart, you are costly to Him. It reveals the heart of God. It reveals the kind of heart everyone close to God should have. Now, let's keep moving, okay? Inside the breastplate, there are two pockets, two special things. And look at chapter 8, verse 8 of Leviticus, something called the Urim and the Thummim. Now, here's what you need to know about the Urim and the Thummim. No one knows what they are. <laughs> no one knows. We know the word thuman carries the Hebrew meaning of completion or perfection, and we know that the word urim possibly means curse. Now, volumes have been written, but they're all guesses. The best guesses, the ones that gets the most kind of scholars talking about it, some, this is the, 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 the Urim and the Thummim were some sort of way that God gave to the high priest to help him determine God's mind and will on a decision. Maybe one of the stones lit up or heated in some way, but truly we don't know. But that's, that's okay. Not knowing the answer only draws me deeper into God and into His Word. It doesn't push me away. I'm more than delighted that I can't figure out everything about God. Holiness is not a doctrine to be systemized. Holiness is a life to be lived, including some mystery. And then verse 9, there's a turban and a gold plate on his head. And the gold plate has the inscription, holy to the Lord. That's Exodus chapter 28. This defined the function of the high priest to make the people holy by his service and his ministry. So, we've got the tunic, we've got the ephod, we've got the breastplate, we've got the umen and the thummin, we've got the, uh, the, the turban and the gold plate. But two more things happen very quickly. Look at Leviticus Chapter 8, verse 12, the high priest was anointed. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. It was a sign of being commissioned and consecrated to what he was doing, set apart for it. And this sign of being anointed was also the mark that this person had been given the Holy Spirit to fulfill his commission. This was when the Holy Spirit descended upon Aaron, because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit descended to fill people, particular people, at particular times for particular reasons. After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given to fill all those who follow Him all the time, okay? But, but it is from this practice that we get the practice of ordaining our pastors. So, we hope that in a few months' time, you will have a new senior pastor, and you will ordain him. You will set him apart in, in a short ceremony to spiritually lead you, and you will, you will consecrate him to that role within the local body here of Christ as a senior pastor. Now, now one last thing. Uh, Moses took some blood from the ordination offering and put some of the blood on the altar. And then if you go down to verse 23, he puts some blood on Aaron, the high priest. He puts some blood on Aaron's right earlobe, the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. <laughs> it's, kind of, 
And he did it not just for Aaron, he did that actually for all of Aaron's sons, all the ordinary priests. Now, why? What's going on? The, the, the earlobe of his right ear, the thumb on his right hand, and the big toe on his right foot. Well, two things. Number one, blood on the altar and blood on the priests. The priests and the altar are inextricably joined together. People who are close to God are people of the altar. We're always offering our lives. We're always laying our lives down. We're dying to self. You cannot come close to God unless you come to the altar. Number two, don't you want the people who are representing you before God and dealing with your sacrifices, don't you want them to have ears that are constantly attuned to hearing God's voice, thumbs and hands willing always to do God's work, and feet that are always willing to walk God's way? And the analogy, the symbolism is strong holy people, people desiring to live close to God, have listening and action and walking that knows the redeeming blood of Christ. So, listen in. Listen in as we finish. Holy people are people who listen for things that are of God, not of man. Holy people are people who work for the things of God, not the things of this world. Holy people are people who walk God's way, not just the way of everyone else. Holy people are people who have redeemed faculties, redeemed by His blood, made holy, pursuing holy things. Their minds are redeemed. They think, what would Jesus do? Their eyes are redeemed. They look and they see people how Jesus would see them, the poor, the broken, the lonely, the sad, the oppressed. Their ears are redeemed. They hear news, not to gossip about it, but to pray, not to contemn, did you hear so-and-so did such a thing, but to reach out and offer help. Their hands and their feet are redeemed, so they're moving to, so, so they're moved to action, not just to, uh, like, debate doctrines and argue over interpretations, but they roll up their sleeves and they get to work helping and serving and building His kingdom. You come close to God when not only does Christ's blood forgive your sins, but when His blood redeems what you listen to, what your hands do, where your feet take you. Holiness, symbolized in the priest's garments. Holiness, doing life with God is something that covers the entire person, their minds, their emotions, their listenings, their talking, their actions, their faculties, and their actions are redeemed for Him. Holiness, dressing for the job, is something that you put on deliberately and daily, and it marks you out as different. So, people, remember, you, 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 yep, even you wandering away from the service before I've even finished, you are priests set apart to be holy for God. It's a high calling. It's a privilege and an honor. Live it out and wear it well. Let's pray. What an amazing God that you've clothed us in Christ's righteousness and you've called us to be priests, that we have access to your throne to pray, to commune, to dwell with you. What an honor and a privilege.
and you've given us the uniform. May we dress every morning with it on. And may we remember that our calling and our place as we live and work is that we are priests, a royal priesthood, part of a holy nation. May we be such, not just for the privilege for ourselves to do life with you, but to introduce others that they would see God through us. So come and help us walk this week, the walk of priests, dwelling with you and bringing God to the people. In Christ's name, amen. So have a great week, and we're back next week as we continue on this journey through Leviticus. And I have no idea what we're going to preach about, but hey, that's the fun of being a preacher as we wait and hear from God this week. So look forward to seeing you in a week's time. God bless.